Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here. Just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly. That's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now, on with monkey tennis. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi everyone, Nick from Monkey Tennis here. I wonder if you can guess what I'm about to plug now. That's right, it's our live show on November the 22nd at the Prince Charles Cinema in London's Leicester Square. We'll be discussing all things knowing me, knowing you all. We'll also be joined on stage by Simon Greenall, aka Michael the Geordie. You can get your tickets now at postpoppodcasts.com forward slash monkey tennis live. We look forward to seeing you on the light, and who knows, there might be a poster biscuit or two in it for you. See you later, bye! Monkey tennis? Smelly Alan Fartridge. Linton Travel Tavern seemed an obvious choice. Monkey tennis? At the BBC of all places. Be real. Monkey tennis? Where's my assistant? I do not know. Monkey tennis? I wish things had turned out differently, but I'm glad they didn't. Monkey tennis? It will be called Alan's Show. I decided and would be absolutely ace. Monkey tennis? But needless to say, I had the last laugh. Hello again, pod fans, and welcome to Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast. We are going week by week through I, Partridge. We need to talk about Alan. Uh, we are now on to chapter 17, Return to Norwich. I'm Adam Brooks, and I'm joined by Tom Dark. Tits to all that. I'm sure we can sort something out. Nick Older. Like the laughter of a glass-throated child. And Tom Stab. Heavy maiden. So... Return to Norwich, chapter 17. We're now drifting into Tom Stab's era Hello. of the I Partridge uh, legacy, if you like. So yeah, chapter 17, Return to Norwich. Um, I was uh, quite happy to cover this 
section because it covers the uh, I'm Alan Partridge years and fills in a lot of the blanks uh, that just shows kind of how deluded Alan is. Uh, obviously, he's meeting with Tony Hairs and stuff like that. So it fills in quite a lot of the blanks, which is good. So yeah, chapter 17. Uh, Nick, if you could talk us through the music choices for this section. Yes. So you've got All Right Now by Free and... Equinox Part 4 by Gene <laughs> Michael Jar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll do. Did you ask Nick to do that bit just because of that? Yes. Excellent. No. Well done. Good, good work. Very good. good work. Very good. Uh, yeah, so Alan's back in, back in Norwich now. Uh, we're post-knowing me, knowing Yule. Um, and Carol has officially left Alan. We know all of these things to be true. Um, so... Alan, as a running theme throughout this entire book, is constantly in denial. And he says, uh, if the PBC thought I was going to sit around waiting for them to mull over a second series, or you have yet another meeting, or conclude a criminal investigation into a man's death, they had another thing coming. So, uh, yeah, he's kind of just, you know, he basically thinks that kind of the BBC should be yeah. going to approach him about a second series. And obviously that's never going to happen in a million he's years. massively deluded. Yes, yep. of course. So he approaches a chap called Nick Peacock, who is the head of Radio Norwich. And uh, he's at, he, he speaks to him at a charity gypsy fight. Um, <laughs> uh, a larger than life character beset with hygiene issues is how uh, Alan describes Nick Peacock. Um, and Nick kind of, you know, gives him an open and brief as to, you know, how uh, and what Alan wants to do at, at Radio Norwich. So Alan's kind of immediately gone in back into working life at Radio Norwich. Uh, and Alan proclaims that Nick uh, wants him to do it, the listeners want him to do it, and I want to do it. Um, Nick says the listeners don't necessarily want him to do it, but uh, tits to all that, I'm sure we can sort something <laughs> out, which is one of our sort of favourite phrases. He also talks about how his ex-colleagues didn't have any issues with him. Uh, and in fact, sometimes he would bump into them in and around Norwich and uh, would, uh, if he saw them in kind of a wine bar, would arrange for a glass of wine and an autographed napkin to be sent over. <laughs> Is that highly <laughs> offensive or just a nice gesture? I mean, mm. I would probably drink the wine and then screw the napkin up in front of him. <laughs> yeah. Use it to wipe the wine. And that's probably what everybody else did yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's also something of a tangent, but he does talk a little bit about uh, about beauty only being skin deep and that uh, some pe- he, Nick Peacock's enormous wealth enabled him to achieve a marriage. Worth noting just because he then goes on to uh, compare it to the relationship between Catherine Zeta-Jones, incredibly beautiful, and Michael Douglas looks like a grey crow. <laughs> that is a brilliant description because he does look like a grey crow. He yeah. really does. Alan sort of laughs off the fact that uh, he's now doing 12 and a half hours uh, a week of local radio and that people say that that's a step down from 0.5 hours of TV. Now, question to the group. Is that a step up or a step down in terms of, you know... Alan as as a as a as a broadcaster. It's a huge step down, and that's why yep. he's chosen to use the only metric where <laughs> yeah, his new yeah, situation basically. is better, <laughs> in that he's putting out more content to almost no one, rather than a very small amount of content yes. to millions. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> pretty done, conclusive. That's a good point. Yeah, you've very good, it. very good. So yeah, him saying twelve point five hours of weekly output versus zero point five hours. It's sort of like me saying, "Oh, I've cooked a delicious meal for two, but it's not as good as when I cooked a, a, a meal for ten and threw it in the bin." <laughs> <laughs> yeah very good uh yeah and so alan being alan he kind of wants to make sure that everyone uh, uh likes him and appreciates him now that he's back on the radio norwich team and he goes up to every single person and kind of accosts them and says uh, right point blank do you like me and he says uh, they all say yes mm, <laughs> I that. under duress yeah. one of the things people will say when backed into a corner i actually think that alan's secret well not maybe secretly but he actually quite like quite likes being on the radio so i think he's actually not too sort of disappointed I think he just to be likes- back broadcasting full yeah, stop but yeah. he just wants to climb the ranks and he 
I think he sees TV as the ultimate goal, but as long as he's broadcasting mm. in some format, I think he is happy. And yeah, at least there's a fair. sense of comfort. This is the first time he's gone back to something that he's already done. So mm. there's familiarity there. So you think at this point, uh, Nick and Alan have a very good relationship with Nick giving him a, a, a job pretty much straight off the bat after leaving uh, the BBC. But the cracks start to appear. Uh, Alan asks for and believes he's been given the breakfast show. But then bumps into, uh, and I'll take a quote here from I Partridge, the incumbent Breck jock, a journeyman DJ called Dave Clifton outside Oddbins. Uh, <laughs> so this is the first appearance of uh, Alan's, you kind of say almost arch nemesis, isn't it? It's his, it's his yeah. Moriarty, mm. uh, Dave Clifton <laughs> outside Oddbins. Of course, Dave Clifton is outside Oddbins. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so he goes to commiserate him, but it actually turns out that Alan's been given the 430 to 7am slot. So this is the second time that Alan's automatically <laughs> assumed he's getting yes. a job that's better yeah. than what he's actually getting. Also yeah. some nice references, uh, hidden references to Dave's alcoholism. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously Brilliant. there's odd bins, but he also says, says Dave frowned as he loaded his cans into the boot of his car. <laughs> now, if you've just gone to buy six or yeah. maybe even 12 cans, I wouldn't describe it as loading. Them. <laughs> he also then says uh, he laughed and drove away, wine bottles clinking in the boot like the laughter of a glass-throated child. It's brilliant. Very nice. Uh, yeah, and uh, obviously Alan, infuriated by this, goes and uh, confronts Nick Peacock in the corridors of Radio Norwich. Remember what you said, tits to all that, I'm sure we can sort something out. He repeats it three times, putting a different, uh, uh, putting the emphasis on a different word each time. Can someone run us through all three of those iterations? I can. Number one, tits to all that, I'm sure we can sort something out. Tits to all that, I'm sure we can sort something out. Tits to all that, I'm sure we can sort something out. And then finally, there's a fourth one tits to all that <laughs> i'm sure we can sort something out oh, so he repeats it four times not three times but yeah he gets you get the idea tits to all that i'm sure we can sort something out the idea is that he says four times tits to all that i'm sure we can sort something out but there's emphasis on a different word each time so the first time it's tits to all that i'm sure we can sort something out tits to all that i'm sure we can sort something out tits to all that i'm sure we can sort something out tits to all that i'm sure we can sort something out so basically what i'm saying is he says tits to all that i'm sure we can sort something so out. so what you're saying is tits to all that i'm sure we can sort something yeah, out yeah but the, the crucial thing is i'm saying it differently each time so the first oh, time okay. right. so it's I'm sure we can sort of... <laughs> I'm done. Should we? Yeah, 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 we'll leave it there. Okay, yeah. Uh, there's a little, fun, just a bit of fun. There's a little note here, a little sl- slight gag that I quite enjoy, which uh, when Alan says that he's delighted to find out that Nick wasn't invited to Fernando's wedding, but neither was Alan. <laughs> <laughs> Despite years earlier uh, pushing for sole custody of the children and then, you know, cut down a few years down the line, he's no longer invited to his son's wedding. Maybe he was pushing for custody and that was the straw that broke the camel's back. (laughs) So the name of Alan's show on uh, on, uh, Radio Norwich is Up With The Partridge. Yeah, the name of Alan's show is unfortunately not Alan's Alan's show. show. (laughs) But I, for some reason, that's only referenced once in I'm Alan Partridge, I believe. And I completely miss that that was the actual name of the show. I just assumed that it was just a kind of off-the-cuff remark. How did you miss that? That's like... opening line of the scene. Yeah, I know you're saying you're listening to Up With The Partridge, but I was just kind of like, that, for whatever reason, that just didn't clock with me that I, that was the actual name of his show. Because it's never so ever referenced again, but I guess, you know, why would you reference they it? They don't again? ram it home in the same way as they do with Mid-Morning Matters, I suppose. Yeah, it's not yeah, the actual name mm, of, of mm, the real programme. Mm. Um, yeah, and he he refers, in this instance of Up With The Partridge beginning, he writes, again, the name Alan's show was vetoed by people who think they know my own output better than I do. <laughs> do we think, is he ever going to get away with naming anything Alan's show? ever no and the I answer also, is no i also <laughs> think there are probably at least 15 people in this situation that know alan's output better than he does 
There are that, more than that. <laughs> I don't know how many people there are who currently have chat shows on the BBC or ITV who could actually get away with doing that. If you'd had like Jonathan, Jonathan Ross, Ross, the Jonathan show, it's like, it doesn't really... Well, you'd yeah, just call Jonathan it Ross. Show. Yeah, you yeah. call it Ro- the, Madonna, yeah, Ross. Cher and Prince. <laughs> I said they're not current chat show hosts on the BBC. <laughs> and you had, you <laughs> had Wogan. And one is dead. Is. Yeah, yeah Wogan's one. That? Wogan's probably the biggest one. And I think one, that Davina McCall had a very short-lived chat show that was just called Davina, but yeah. that failed horrendously. Uh, yeah, I can kind of see Davina. Holly Willa Booby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're just saying names now. <laughs> there, was, there was the Charlotte Church show, but that suffered a similar fate to Davina. <laughs> but yeah, I think the point being, particularly doing it on a first name basis, it's just not going to work for anyone. And Alan talks about how, uh, obviously, in his in his radio show, he recognises the importance of the music choices, uh, which is something that obviously he's, uh, he's very uh, up on because he mentioned the same thing when he was doing hospital radio about how it was important to play the right music. And he's forcing everyone to listen to a uh, playlist while they read I Partridge as well. Yeah. <laughs> reading out new tracks with every chapter. So Alan heads to HMV, Virgin and secondhand record shops to study contemporary mi- uh, music. So question to the group. Can you remember all the genres that he lists? Adam, you've got the book open. No cheating. I don't know know where to start with guessing the genres. Uh, Start at the beginning. Are there regular ones? Rock and pop? Uh, Can you not remember the ones that he goes through? Heavy heavy Maiden is one. Heavy Maiden is one. Oh, okay, yeah. Break something. Breakbeat. 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 There's four, by the way, so you've got two. Um, One's got jazz in it. No. No. Brit Rock. Uh, Brit Rock is three. uh, And the last one. I I saw the last one, so I'm not going to spoil it. Gang rap. Gang rap. <laughs> Brit rock, heavy maiden, gang rap, and breakbeat. So that's obviously Brit pop, heavy metal, uh, gangster rap, and breakbeat. Yeah, he's, he's also yeah, he spelled it breakbeat wrong. Yeah. wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. B-R-A-K-E. And, and, and do you remember what his, uh, what his conclusion from that is? I do. He comes to the startling but unshakable conclusion, no genuinely good music has been created since 1988. I have a note on this. I predict that Nick agrees with that view. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, he's definitely got a point. Although there are... Yeah, yeah, I can see where he's coming from. Yeah. I had a little look at, to see what albums were released in 90, 1988. And obviously there are loads and loads and loads. Um, but what I did kind of pick out and want to ask to the question to, as a question to the group is, what do you think the biggest selling album was in 1988 Ooh, in the UK? Question. Now, it is obviously quite difficult because it could literally be anything. But what I would say is that it is a female pop star. Kylie Minogue. Is the correct answer. Yeah. It's yeah. Kylie Minogue's debut album, Amazing. Kylie. Self-titled Kylie was the biggest selling album in the UK in 1988. Uh, other albums that were released that year, uh, Metallica's And Justice For All and uh, Iron Maiden's Seventh Son of the Seventh Son. It was quite a rock-heavy mm. year well, that heavy year. Heavy Maiden. Yeah, Heavy Maiden, exactly. Yeah. And in Alan's show, he has the opportunity to revisit music that embodied an era of Thatcher, Hot Hatches and Men Who Look Like Girls, Bowie, Strange, Le Bon, Ant. <laughs> <laughs> Not of Andek fame. Uh, that's all I've got on this chapter. Has anyone, anyone got anything Just else to he, add? Uh, well, he repeats the hot hatches uh, thing in Citadel as well. So that's a bit of a uh, a bit of a phrase mm. of his. Yeah, yeah. Hot hatch. Uh, the, the my. I just got another highlight here of something that I really enjoyed. Um, is the way that Alan uses his assistant here. Uh, I roped in my assistant instructing her to scour long wave radio for far flung stations and then tape entire shows pausing whenever a record was played and then unpausing on the song outro so that she could present me at the end of each week with an audio dossier of continental broadcast trends. So you think, okay, 
that's already ridiculous and it's absolute <laughs> mistreatment of an employee. Yeah, and then but it gets worse. <laughs> Invariably, I didn't have time to listen to them. <laughs> of course, I didn't. But I did know she enjoyed being involved, even if she could only. Ch- yeah, it gets worse. Even if she could only tune into most longwave stations by standing on a box and holding the radio out of an upstairs window. <laughs> oh, poor old pivoting Lynn. <laughs> also, the idea of like getting a sort of dossier, like a zeitgeist tape, is the sort of thing yeah. people do for prime ministers. Yeah, not for not for regional broadcasters. <laughs> I can't be bothered to listen to their own. Music. <laughs> Ideas above his station, yet again. Anyway, that's the end of this uh, chapter. Yeah, so what's so. next? It is indeed. So we're up to chapter 18, which is titled Linton Travel Tavern. Nicholas J. Alder, what are the music choices that Alan insists on listening to in this oh, chapter? Oh, it's a good one. Uh, it's Be With You by Mr. Big. Banger. Absolute Lovely. banger. And that's actually a good opportunity to remind everyone listening that we've got a Spotify playlist of all the songs that Alan uh, lists on his, what, what, how does he call it? It's a mandatory, it's a mandatory playlist, playlist for, uh, as, a, as a, a companion piece for the book. That's uh, on our social channels. Uh, we'll be able to, we'll post a link on there and you'll be able to find it. Yeah. So, Linton Travel Tavern. Um, Alan sort of starts this chapter by uh, detailing that he spent 183 nights in a travel tavern. I like the fact he says not a lot of people know this. Well. <laughs> Everyone That's knows the it. That's thing Alan yeah. is most famous for. Uh, the fourth longest period of unbroken residency in a British hotel by a non-OAP. Um, I did a little bit of research about what is the longest stay in a hotel ever recorded. Uh, it's by a woman called Joy Bricker who uh, checked out of the town place suites in Virginia after 10 years wow. she stayed there Whoa. she checked in on the 4th of August 2001 and checked out in 2011 she spent 10 years in a hotel follow up question why so after doing a bit of cursory reading of the article didn't read it in full um, God I was no. crunched um, well, well, <laughs> she said that basically the rental prices in uh, Virginia were too high and she actually saved money or the the, the, the price was actually lower for st- for staying in a hotel she had all of her electricity water Wi-Fi already paid for and it was actually working out cheaper to stay in a hotel yeah, hotel Wi-Fi is price. awful <laughs> <laughs> it basically said that she ha- it, she said it had everything that she needed do you think after a while they like let her hang pictures on the walls and like repaint and stuff uh, probably not but we'll name that room after her <laughs> yeah yeah. I would imagine she would have changed rooms and moved do you know did she check out because she died or did she just no, change she her moved, mind about she, rent she moved out well I'll, I'll post a, lo- uh, a link out to it on the uh, on the socials um, so uh, the reason that Alan gives that he's been staying in a travel tavern for so long is that Carol and her lover have moved into the marital home um, so he needed to get out so he needed to get out um, and yeah, I don't I think a bit that, sorry uh, for Alan though. well I'm yeah. also surprised as well because I'd have thought that that he probably paid for it, or at least in part, yeah. and would have said to Carol, no, you get out. Is the reason yeah. ever given in I'm Alan Partridge why he's there? Uh, it just says that my wife's left me, isn't it? It's yeah. just like, it's not given yeah. that, that they've moved yeah. into the home, but I guess you kind of assume. And I would have thought he would be the kind of person who would be quite stubborn and he wouldn't want to move out, but I expect what's happened is she's moved her uh, narcissistic sports pimp lover in mm-hmm. and they've basically just been doing it while Alan's in a spare and room also, and he's just become so disgruntled he can't bear to stay there. Do you remember the law always takes the side? <laughs> the yeah. um, there's some nice little details about Alan's stay in the Linton Travel Tavern that we don't get in... Uh, uh, I'm Alan Partridge, as far as I know. Um, it's uh, he, He's staying in room 28. He talks about how he has everything that he needs in uh, the room of the, of the Travel Tavern. Uh, he's got the dining room, bed, lounge, the bed, study, desk, meeting room, 
bed and the desk and a gym the gap between the bed and the wall <laughs> i love that bit <laughs> it's so good uh, and he yeah he basically explains that uh, how uh, choice of room is vital oh, for a long stay uh, one of the biggest benefits obviously being free water so what he would tend to do is to get in the bath run the bath put on the shower and just sit there with the water cascading down and he calls it his caribbean soak I love it was that. like swimming in the sea during a tropical downpour, he said as well. <laughs> you know what? Next time I stay in a hotel, I'm 100% going to try that. <laughs> Got to give it a go. And I'm going to post a picture of me in the bath with the water coming down on the monkey tennis socials. <laughs> I highlighted, I really enjoyed the way he was kind of justifying the hotel stay as well with, it was like all the best bits of living in a deluxe house, but without the constant endless hassle of having to move between rooms. <laughs> Don't you hate it when you've got to move from one room oh, to another? It's oh, it's terrible. endless hassle. Yeah. And also, as he says, then there was the food in the place. Goodness me. Why not treat yourself to three restaurant meals a day? I know I did. <laughs> <laughs> now, for those of you who have read the book in depth, um, I sort of listened to the audiobook and had the, the, the physical book as a kind of companion piece to, to make notes and look up things. He, at this point in the audiobook, he goes into a long aside about not sleeping with Glenn Ponder um, when he stayed at his house in a previous chapter. Right. He notes this. Yeah. So it's, can someone confirm? Is this in the book as a note? This is a footnote. Yes. This, this, is a footnote. Is, this is footnote 147. Yeah. And I would book. say it's a footnote that's almost got half a page to itself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is it worth reading out a section of that? or? Uh, well, I think just <laughs> you have to get the opening because obviously this this happened what? three or four chapters ago when mm, he yeah, just yeah. casually goes I spent the night with Glenn Ponder and then the footnote four chapters later it's just occurred to me that in the previous chapter but it's not the previous chapter though is it? Uh, if it's Glenn Ponder no I don't think it no, is no it is no, I mean, it's not maybe, Harper Collins. maybe that's an extra joke um, in the previous chapter when I said I spent the night with Glenn Ponder I should make clear I meant I went to sleep at his flat I did not have sexual relations with him thought I'd cut it out now and mention it while it's occurred to me. Believe me, there was no physical contact and the light remained as on as my clothes, save for my socks, which I always remove to <laughs> let my toes breathe because I have an intermittent athlete's foot. So as I say, no funny business at all. I like the bit where he says uh, he once hugged a man in Snowdonia uh, <laughs> in a, uh, called Richard. Uh, <laughs> I love this final line. In a sleeping oh, bag. Yeah, yeah. He says he hasn't got a gay bone in his body and he runs a nightclub in Brighton called Beef. Um, I checked if there was a nightclub in Brighton called Beef. There is no nightclub in Brighton <laughs> but, uh, called Beef. But Nick, you currently live in Brighton. You lived there for a few years. So has there ever been a nightclub in Brighton called Beef? Not that I've seen or been to, but... It is possible. It's possible. Yeah. <laughs> and now we get to the first mention of Michael, everyone's favourite work, Geordie. Aye. Uh, he, says, <laughs> he says that from what he can make out, he's, an empl- he's employed in an unspecified capacity. I think that kind of goes... I would agree with that. that. Yeah, I would agree yeah. with that as well. He's kind of a bit of a dog's body. He kind of just like does everything, doesn't he? Um, he did see him hi- behind reception once and knows that he's not allowed to handle money. <laughs> um, it's also the first mention of Susan. Uh, he's not sure how old she is, but she was very good looking for her age. <laughs> <laughs> any uh, any other notes on Michael and Susan here? Um, no, not particularly well, for me. Al- Alan clearly has the hots for Susan. Indeed, he toys with the idea of starting a relationship with Susan, but uh, the more he thinks about it, the more he doubts that he should. So um, that's not really but true, I, is it? No, I think <laughs> he's got no chance. And Alan's logic is that as a customer, he's technically paying her wages, which makes him her boss. Again, not really true. He's also got a disappointingly hazy memory of uh, Ben and Sophie. Yes. One was a guy called Ben. The other was a girl who often had her hair in a bun. My <laughs> abiding memory of them is that they were having a relationship. Either that or they were brother or sister. I forget <laughs> which. Feels like the blueprint for the white stripes. He knows exactly what they were, what they were getting up to. 
Yeah, he's in denial, isn't he? Yeah, and uh, basically he converts Michael from being an employee paid to do his bidding to a friend that does his bidding. Um, yeah. That's pretty much everything I have on this chapter. Has anybody got any other notes? The only other bits that we're going to mention that was that um, we get a note about Michael and his love for guns. Uh, Alan goes on to say, but at least he loves something. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, if Michael can't handle money, he's certainly not allowed to handle firearms. Sure. No. Oh, this is black market, isn't it? He's not, yeah. you know, there's... Uh, also, his terraced home, uh, Michael's, is largely unfurnished, so it seems he's not even really allowed to handle furniture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the only other thing to mention is that Alan was basically inviting local businessmen into his uh, hotel room while they kind of frantically pitched business ideas <laughs> at him in some kind of like Dragon's Den style setup. I would have quite liked to have seen this in I'm Alan Partridge, actually. There could have been some quite yeah little sketches. Yeah. This would have been an incredible thing to have a, just uh, a segment of it after the credits each week. Well, yeah. Isn't the irony, thing? though, oh, yeah, that yeah. as well, that kind of uh, all the ideas that Alan was pitching to Tony Hayes were obviously pretty crap. Mm. This one actually made sense, and there was a kernel of an idea there. But he's quite <laughs> possibly being presented crap ideas. Yeah, you need to talk, you need to talk through created, the idea. He could have created essentially Dragon's Den. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah, Yeah. that's That's a very good point. (laughs) That's the joke. Yeah. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Uh, I was, was going to say, yeah, as an end credit sequence idea, that would be a bit like in Phoenix Nights where they have all the yeah. cabaret acts performing for them. Mm. It could have been like that. Yeah. That's good. That's nice. good. And also he says he's uh, he's offering up to a ceiling of £999, but he's never quoted in the book as offering, as giving anyone more than 300 <laughs> And even that, I think he takes it back. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> yep. So next up, Chapter 19, Clash of the Titans. This one is titled Me Versus Hairs. Uh, Nick, talk us through the musical choices for this chapter, please. Ooh, this is Wishful Thinking by China Crisis, my dad will be happy with that one. <laughs> Alan's a big fan of China Crisis, isn't he? Yeah, he is. From uh, I'm Alan Partridge. Uh, so I think what we get from the beginning of this chapter is that Alan actually does genuinely miss the BBC. Um, and he goes there on Tuesdays just to look at it from his car, <laughs> which I quite liked. Um, and also, as we know previously, Alan thinks that a second series is very much 
on the card, or so he believes anyway. Not literally, no one else. No one else. Is, no one else yeah, is no on board. Else is despite, uh, despite, despite striking hairs in the face with a turkey on TV, yeah. and uh, he says that uh, grandstand backup presenter Steve Ryder would still come and sign him in, so he could walk the corridors and have a coffee <laughs> in the cafe. It's kind of similar that to is... uh, to Brent coming back yeah, to the office, yeah, yeah, isn't yeah. it? It's yeah, kind of a similar yeah. sort of thing. Um, and uh, yeah, so finally, you know, Alan sort of badgers Tony Hairs, and eventually. Uh, Hayes agrees to a meeting and uh, Alan kind of phrases it as that the call comes from Tony Hayes to d- demanding a meeting <laughs> and uh, and we kind of get what we, we we didn't really have before we kind of viewed the meeting uh, as a sort of third person the famous meeting between Alan and, yeah. and Tony Hayes this is Alan's perspective on that meeting and I think we can say it's a very different meeting to the one that we saw in I'm Alan Partridge unreliable narrator <laughs> yeah but that that's why that's why I love the book because you really get Alan's skewed sense of reality and also that very obviously deliberate thing that he's yeah. retelling and i think the, the, the difference between what we were doing in the earlier chapters is that we didn't necessarily have the visual references yeah. for how it actually went yeah. and now we can see what alan thinks happened but we actually know what did yeah. happen yeah and they've they've solved a, a unique problem very well the writers of i partridge because it's a section that everyone has seen play out in real life. How do yeah. you add add humour without just rehashing the jokes you've already put on TV? How do you make no, it new? Yeah. You basically yeah. you basically put it on the page as if it happened completely differently. Yeah. And, and from thence, I, the kind, humor arose. I do kind of wish it had taken place in a TGI Fridays, though. Yeah, Alan wants it to happen in a TGI Fridays because he wanted something with chips. <laughs> Which I think there is not a TGI Fridays anywhere near the BBC TV centre. <laughs> However. The BBC definitely do offer chips as a food option. <laughs> I mean, uh, the bit I feel bad about for Alan is kind of all the things that he then goes and does off the back of essentially getting this meeting. He doesn't wait for the outcome of the meeting and obviously the successful uh, second series he essentially makes a lot of big decisions of just getting a meeting with Tony Hayes. Yeah, so he does a couple of things. So um, he tells reception at the Travel Tavern that he'll be moving out, and he asks <laughs> his assistant to find him a new house that befits a primetime TV personality. Uh, he then calls Dave Clifton and laughs down the phone for ages. <laughs> That's so good. I love that. I love that. Um, he, so the meeting starts. He describes Hayes as shifty and nervous, which uh, I think from the TV show we can see that's definitely not the case. Uh, Alan says that he orders food and wine for both of them a nice german wine some italian food and uk water <laughs> does that basically just mean tap water pretty yeah, much yeah, 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 so. yeah in the run-up to trying to get this meeting with tony as well he starts he displays a creative side in his correspondence sending uh, him a teddy with a note that says alan can barely wait to get started <laughs> on series two under honey roast ham with a message when can we meet <laughs> very creative so good uh, shame he couldn't channel any tv ideas is it like Two days after the meeting's been confirmed, he's literally buying a five-bedroom house. Yes, <laughs> five-bedroom bastard house. <laughs> so uh, it, it, how Alan sees this meeting going is that he kind of gets bored of the small talk very, very quickly and takes charge of the meeting, demanding a yes or no answer about a second series. Oh, uh, one thing about his five-bedroom house is the reason he's gone for five bedrooms is because Carol lives in a four-bedroom house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice touch. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. It was out of the question that he'd live somewhere inferior when he was to be one of the faces of bbc television for the next decade <laughs> so he's disc- he's he's meeting tony Hayes to discuss another six episodes and in his mind that means he's a face of the bbc for the next 10 years <laughs> seems quite perceptive that he's chosen wishful thinking as the uh, the music track for yeah. this chapter yeah, Very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We, we know obviously know the reality of what happened but obviously this book suggests that uh, alan demands a yes or no um at which point uh Hayes, his face goes pale he averted his eyes and says <laughs> It's a no. Um, 
was going to say the nearby diners who apparently have been secretly eavesdropping on our stomach gasped and stared. I'm fairly sure one of them let a roast potato fall out of his mouth. What? <laughs> they all thought. So he's adding he's adding drama to the scenario. Yeah, and as we know, wants, none of this happened. Yep. Uh, and then obviously he says that he didn't want to work for the BBC yeah, anymore anyway. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Makes you wonder why he took the meeting and sent Tony Hairs a roast ham, really. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. yep. Um, Hayes, uh <laughs> apparently, uh, well, we say apparently, we know it didn't happen, begs Alan for other series ideas, <laughs> which, he, which he reels off. Uh, and then Alan lists all the familiar TV show ideas that we know, love and recognise. Swallow, knowing M.E., knowing you, Inner City Sumo, and Monkey Tennis, of course. Um, he says that Monkey Tennis is snapped up by TV stations in Laos and Taiwan and ran for two successful years, after which the format reached the end of its natural life and the monkeys were quickly and humanely destroyed. Does that mean they were thrown into the sea and bounced <laughs> off a rock? Yeah. <laughs> Wonder where he got the idea from. Yeah. So he must have actually made a little bit of cash from that then, if it's, you know, a TV programme <laughs> that's been licensed. I, I think it might have all been spent on a humane monkey disposal. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually one idea mentioned in the book that's not mentioned in I'm Alan Partridge, which Alan describes as the ace up his sleeve. Motorway Rambles, a travel log of Alan walking the hard shoulders of British highways, but the idea had been co-devised with Bill Oddie and he'd made Alan promise that he wouldn't pitch it unless he was there too, which I think is fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> My question is though, if, uh, if, if Bill Oddie is that adamant about being uh, named as the co-devisor, why has he not come along to the meeting? Good point, yeah. Well, yeah. I think obviously maybe Alan had... Well, he doesn't want to share, doesn't want to share Tony, Tony's demanded yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alan give him more ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I would expect Bill Oddie has probably got his own meeting with the BBC where they're yeah. much more receptive yeah exactly yeah. uh alan stands to leave but hayes says that they haven't had the cheese course yet it's that infamous cheesy moment yeah uh, so the way Alan describes it in the book is that he slams the handle of the cheese knife onto the cheese board that springs a cube of cheese into the air, which he catches, wraps in a napkin and puts in his pocket. Uh, now, we all know that that's not true, isn't it? <laughs> Alan says that he won't. He, let... he did it in a slightly uh, less graceful manner. Yeah, yeah he stuck the knife into a cheese and shoved it into Tony Hess's face. I don't know what you mean. I mean, for me, the meeting merely confirmed uh, his long held desire to continue his career well away from the BBC. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, Alan says that he won't let Hayes pay, so puts a one. 100 pound note down the male <laughs> waiter's cleavage and he did have a cleavage so one he's putting a he's putting a note down a male waiter's cleavage and two it's a 100 pound note <laughs> surely that's he knows that that's ridiculous and doesn't yeah. exist what's going on there that is a bit. It's a bit. It's, al- it's, it's almost like the writers don't credit the readers of I Partridge with the intelligence to know that this is fictitious and so they've had to put a hundred pound note in to absolutely seal the deal yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh well, is, it, is it a bit like because obviously we know alan is essentially lying embellishing his version of events is it just thing he can't help himself from making it more and more ridiculous like he's yeah. layering it on and layering yeah, it on. he's yeah. one step away from i put a hundred pound note in the uh, waiter's cleavage and then flew into space yeah, <laughs> essentially well, uh, well in this instance he very calmly very slowly very proudly yep. walked through the lunchtime diners and away into the night. Right. <laughs> lunchtime diners into, <laughs> into the, the night. night. Yep, and he's applauded. How, how as slowly did he walk? <laughs> yep. And as we all know uh, from the TV show, and we all saw it, Alan is applauded out of the room. We all know that. Oh, that's, definitely, sure. yeah, that's yeah. definitely how it happened. Full-blown Alan fantasy. Uh, that is everything I have on that chapter. Any other notes from anyone else? Let's move it on. That's Let's it. move it on. So, moving on to chapter 20, proof that the public loved me. Nick, what are the music choices alan suggests for, actually no it's not even a suggestion is it it's mandatory it's, it's mandatory, mandatory. <laughs> so we have uh, a track i'm not familiar with the race by yellow 
I don't know it's it either. To me. It's on the playlist if you want to hear it. I it's on our social the, channels. Uh, the, they got the track on Ferris Bueller's Day Off. The one that goes, oh, yeah. Boom, oh, boom, is that boom. what it is? Yeah. Ah. But no, it's not, I don't think it's that song, but that is right. your life. Right, right, right. right, right. Uh, just a little bit of added colour to this section before we, uh, before we delve right in. Uh, this is the point in my research where I was uh, on holiday in France uh, a couple of weeks ago. Oh, sounds and, nice. And uh, it was very nice. Uh, and at this point, when I started this chapter, a young French boy called Lenny, I managed to find out using my GCSE French, uh, interrupted my research and I had to try, well, I didn't have to, but I tried to explain to him in French who Alan Partridge is, uh, which is actually quite hard if you've only got a very basic GCSE level uh, French. Um, and I ended up just pointing to a picture of him in the uh, in the book and just saying his name is Alan Partridge and he is very stupid. That's basically <laughs> what I got. Uh, then the little boy's granddad, who was called William, he introduced himself, came and took him away and said sorry for, for him bothering me. Uh, so I just thought that was a nice little story. Uh, I taught a French kid who Alan Partridge is and told him that he was very stupid. Work. Uh, Rumour has reached us now that he insists on only going out in a uh, blazer badge and tie combination <laughs> kit. So uh, you started uh, something very special there. So the time is 4pm on the 8th of May 1997 and Alan is being held captive in the home of deranged supervan Jed Maxwell. Yeah. Uh, Alan describes the day starting well. Uh, an afternoon with Alan Partridge with Sue Cook, uh, who in this section he openly calls fit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ravishing. Yeah, he, she's his ravishing special guest. Mm. Oh, <laughs> cookie. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, seriously. I think she's fit. Uh, and obviously Alan references the uh, meeting with the two Irish TV executives. Uh, Alan says that he has a lot of time for the Irish. Do you think this is as a result of his Bullshit. potentially... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, he, I was gonna say his, uh, his potentially offensive uh, descriptions of uh, the Irish in the TV show and he feels like maybe he has to clarify his views. Mm. Um, I think he's got a lot of time for an Ireland that doesn't really exist or perhaps existed, you know, a hundred years ago. Yeah. Alan says that the uh, the Irish economy uh, was known as the Celtic Tiger, which he says that he loves. And then it hit a wall, much like the sleeping dog on YouTube. Uh, he then reels off a list of his favourite YouTube videos, which include Sneezing Panda, Keyboard Cat, Dramatic Chipmunk, Skateboarding Dog, Otters Holding Hands, and Don't Taze Me Bro. Now, so, I know all of those apart from Don't Taze Me Bro. Do you know that one? I yeah. don't. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. They're, I mean, I would say those are probably like... The, the oh yeah, popular, yeah of course. The, the, the only the one that's missing from there is Charlie Bit. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. That's, isn't that like one of the most viewed clips on YouTube? It's one of the most, but now I think the most viewed is uh, music, a music oh, video by Ratman Wiz Khalifa Wiz from Khalifa, uh, Fast oh, and the Furious. It's, yeah, it's awful. Alan obviously says, I mean, obviously he says that the uh, meeting with the Irish uh, executives goes well, and they hit it off, and they uh, agree to attend. RWAP, which is an afternoon <laughs> with Adam Partridge, which he doesn't call it in the TV show, but I wish he had, because that is brilliant. Uh, and then obviously the news breaks that uh, Sue oh, Cook oh, has wow. pulled out and uh, <laughs> Alan quotes, oh, Cookie, you are as unreliable as you are fit, i.e. very. <laughs> I just like, as well, it's such a small thing, but like the kind of like the subtle jibes at um, the Linton Travel Tavern where uh, he says, oh, kind of uh, at the end of our pleasantly greasy breakfast. And it's just a, like a little subtle throwaway thing but he's having a kind of a jab at them but um yeah i think you missed something which i thought was quite mm -hmm. funny earlier when he's talking about putting on this afternoon of alan partridge he says 
I toyed with the idea of doing an arena gig, but quickly ruled out. <laughs> <laughs> How quickly? I mean, we've also toyed with the idea of doing an arena gig, haven't we? But I think we ruled it out quite quickly. Quickly ruled yeah, it out yeah, due yeah. to similar reason, audience <laughs> interest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Alan describes the show as a disaster, despite Michael giving him the pep talk and saying that he hadn't shot any guests or punched anyone in the face with a turkeyed hand. I, th- that, I thought that was a rare um, moment of clarity from Alan. Uh, yeah. Mm, I, yeah, I, true. I mean, it was a disaster. There's, there's yeah, no bones yeah. about it, but normally he would gloss over it. But it, is anything Alan does not a disaster? No, but, but, but that's the thing. This <laughs> yeah, is one of the yeah. rare times he's admitting it. Yeah. Uh, and then, as we know, Jed Maxwell steps in to help Alan, and uh, he thinks all will be well at Jed's bungalow. Uh, spoiler alert, it's not. <laughs> it's um, really not. The first issue that Alan has uh, with Jed's uh, bungalow is his choice of art, which obviously he kind of references, or we uh, he references in I'm Alan Partridge. Uh, he references the topless biker woman with nipples standing at attention <laughs> like a couple of boob soldiers. Well, But weren't her nipples covered in I'm Alan Partridge yes, with stars? They were. So that's <laughs> an inconsistency. Absolutely gaping hole in we the story. We are picking apart the, the issues with this book here. And, I and, it revolve, and it revolves around nipples. And I may have mentioned it at the time, but I suspect that that there was perhaps that perhaps uh, it was a watershed issue of some kind where uh, yeah, they maybe. weren't allowed that level of graphic nudity because the stars over her nipples didn't look like they were part of the painting. It looked a bit of, like a bit of an afterthought from the makers uh, of right. the program. But then this is after, so they could have referenced the fact that there were stars on there. So that's very true. Well, they could mm. have explained it away, like they did the change in his voice. Exactly. But, uh, I think mm. they've missed one here, maybe. And then, as we know, Alan steps into Jed's uh, shrine to Alan and a little bit of David Copperfield uh, losing the battle for losing wall the battle space. for wall space Alan describes it as one of the weirdest rooms he's ever been in and that includes Bill Oddie's blast proof underground bird chamber <laughs> I, w- I would like to say at this juncture if anybody wants to start an industrial noise band with me called Bill Oddie's blast proof underground <laughs> bird chamber I, I am up for that yes uh, coming to an ATP near you um, so uh, question to the group uh, I don't know if anyone's got an answer to this what's the weirdest room you've ever been in the, the room we're recording this podcast in yeah, right now? I think that's the answer, yeah, isn't yeah, it? That's the answer. If only you could see the things that we can see. Or if, I mean, if you're talking surrealism, I was once in Chris from Coldplay's mum's kitchen. Does that count? That's pretty good. That's, I mean, like, weird is a is a subjective term, isn't it? So that for you, that was probably quite a weird experience. It was quite weird. And one detail that we don't get in I'm Alan Partridge is that uh, in the book, Alan kind of zooms in and notices uh, the quote-unquote quality of the photos and actually compliments on how good they are. Um, some are taken from behind bins, some are taken from behind bushes, and uh, most probably unsettlingly, uh, photos uh, with where Jed has obviously been hidden inside Alan's shed. Is that Jed Maxwell or producer Jed? Uh, they're interchangeable. Maybe they're the same person. We've never, seen them both. We've never seen them in the same room together. Uh, and then uh, Jed obviously dons the famous mask, uh, which the book says are available from maskplanet.com slash partridge face 9.99 for 10. I looked that up. That is not a real website, unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. So, what website did you get when you went on that link? I don't know. I've got the link here. I'll click it right now. So, Jake Thompson uh, got in touch on our Facebook page when we uh, announced we were going to be covering iPartridge, and he said, You need to look into the link to the badge and blazer set. Uh, he means mask, mm-hmm. uh, which takes you to myhousematesdiary.com. I've never found out what's going on with this. And he's right. It does take you to that. So, uh, I can only assume that somebody, whoever set up myhousematesdiary.com, has basically read I Partridge, checked the internet, realised that no one's got Mask Planet registered uh, and got their own blog on there. Uh, so it's probably worth explaining a bit about this blog because I am quite keen to read it. So the synopsis on the blog page says, A while ago now, I found my housemate's personal diaries. 
Like any good friend, I promptly began transcribing what was written and publishing it on here <laughs> for all to see who wouldn't, right? So if you like nosing into other people's business, reading other people's private thoughts, hearing rather detailed descriptions of a stranger's attempt at having a sex life, then you've come to the right place. Be warned, though, it's quite free in places and extremely explicit in others. Uh, it basically says on the blog that they're going to keep uploading these diaries uh, on a kind of month-by-month basis unless if either they get caught or they die. And it hasn't <laughs> been updated for about four years now, I think. So, so question R-I-P- to the group. R.I.P. <laughs> Have they been caught or are they dead? I think I think, I think. think third option, lost interest. Yeah, I think it's that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, I, I read a couple of entries. That, like, it's quite a funny read, but I don't believe it's real, mm. personally. Mm. One more thing about the masks uh, in the book. Alan says that they are not to be used for Halloween. Quoting Alan, have a bit of respect. Um, <laughs> and then uh, Alan describes uh, how the rest of uh, his stay at Jed's place out there's a fight which uh, we kind of get uh, a little bit of a mm. teaser of in i'm alan partridge so he describes that correctly there's a headlock we see that we know that but then alan describes uh, the fight sort of developing uh, and that includes in alan... kind of a hollywood action film style detail yeah so it includes alan headbutting jed in the back punching him in the face and Jed throwing a chair at Alan. Yeah. Also, the satisfying thud of bone on gland as he hits him <laughs> in the nuts and he says, I've just turned his testicles into a couple of bollock pancakes. Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> I, Would not order I, a restaurant. I particularly enjoyed how I floor him with a classic one-inch punch textbook stuff <laughs> a real gut buster <laughs> uh, and obviously we know uh, what happens at the end of this scene but uh, Alan says that Jed chases him out of the house with a weapon rather than amicably uh, talking about going for a pint with Jed's uh, brother and then uh, Alan says that he hollers something witty as he drives away <laughs> we know that that phrase is no way you big spastic you're, you're a mentalist, mentalist. <laughs> so not very witty uh, and obviously the TV ep ends with Alan running across a field uh, in the book he runs for four miles five <laughs> Finds a public phone box, calls his assistant, and he asks her to pick up the car and deal with Maxwell personally. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Do we think any of those things happen? Did he run for four miles? No. No. Did he call his assistant? <laughs> yes. Probably. Yes, probably. Did she go and pick up his car? Yes. Did she deal with Maxwell personally? No. No. Possibly. <laughs> no. I think he did uh, stagger to the public phone box because his description of the phone box is brilliant. It says, hanging up, I slump against the side of the phone box and slide into a heap on the floor. The calling cards of a hundred local whores raining down on me <laughs> like big drops of prostitute rain i begin to weep i have cheated death i am free (laughs) (laughs) that is all the notes that that, that is very good uh that's all the notes i have on this chapter uh anybody else got anything i highlighted a footnote from this chapter that Mm -hmm. i quite enjoyed uh so i think this is around with the um telephoto lens photography uh alan says the idea of a man looking at my rock hard buttocks and salivating (laughs) makes me want to run home and deadlock the doors and please don't infer from that that i'm a homophobe I'm not, and I haven't been since I attended the boat show with Dale Winton, Paul O'Grady, and Noel Edmonds. He's not gay, but you get the picture. <laughs> That's great. But that's actually an interesting admission of essentially him being a homophobe before that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, took, it took a big gay boat show to turn in. Uh, with Noel Edmonds. But, yes. to, uh, but to be fair, um, when you say that, Alan does make a point in the book about uh, homophobia being a word that before 1980 didn't exist. And if you'd used the term, people would have thought you were referring to a science fiction disease. <laughs> and now, chapter 21, Hayes Dead. Nikki J A, what are the music choices for this chapter? So, so the artist is Wings, and the song is... Mama Unia. 
Okay, thanks. <laughs> I Sounds believe, good. I, I, I think that's what it is. Only the band the Beatles could have been. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That much we do know. So at the beginning of this chapter, there's quite a nice little gag uh, at the beginning uh, that's in the book, but not actually in the audio book, I noticed. Um, Alan says that he's uh, it's been five months since the Jed incident and that he's over it now. And he describes Jed as a positive person, an area later, half full kind of guy, which I thought was a nice little touch. A nice little callback to obviously the area later. Yeah. Why would that not be in the audiobook? Well, I think we haven't really discussed this. There are some. Yeah. Uh, there are quite. Well, there are some. There are some quite big differences between the audiobook and the book, mm. right? So, but some of them make sense. Like all the footnotes, that kind of makes sense. But why? There's, yeah. There's actually something that I feel like that occasionally in in uh, sections there's words added or taken away. So there was a section earlier where oh, so it's um, not verbatim. Either. No, it's not verbatim at all. There's a there's a section earlier where um, uh, Alan says in the Glen Ponder chapter where he's proud to know. He says that he's proud to know Glen Ponder and describe. I forget how he describes him exactly, but as like a you know uh, a conductor or whatever. In the audio book, he says the word "I'm proud to know a homosexual who is blah 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 blah." But in the book, the word homosexual isn't in there. Right. Some tinkering's been done, obviously. Exactly, yeah. So I guess, you know, because one of the things about doing this, this book would have been written before the audio book was done. They would go into a studio and they they would record it. So there could be times where maybe Coogan thought, oh, I'll just make a little edit. I'll leave a word in. I'll take a word out. Or he'll read something and go, actually, I'm not sure that works or i'm not such a yeah. big fan of it let's just cut it out so i think i think that's where the the yeah. the, the differences mm. lie i think it's just a choice when reading the audiobook about how to that do that or yeah. a cynical ploy to get you to buy both <laughs> <laughs> oh adam well we've fallen for it yeah um he also referenced right at the start of the chapter sue cook again uh, saying sue cook's voice was shaking ordinarily it would be hard to tell whether it was through emotion or because the pubs had yet to open but this was 3 p.m so i knew it was the he's former. casting her very much in a dave clifton sort of uh, yeah. light there isn't he 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 veers wildly between absolute devotion to, and I'm and, and really fancying yeah. her and, uh, and yeah painting her as a sort of husky alcoholic so obviously uh, Alan gets the call from Sue about the uh, the tragic death of Tony Hayes um, it's, it, it says in the book that uh, Sue tries to contact Alan for an hour and then when he finds the news he bows his head for a minute thinking of his loved ones and cries a single tear we know that's bullshit <laughs> <laughs> because in I'm Alan Partridge he literally doesn't he go yes <laughs> or is that Lynn that's I can't Lynn remember that that's Lynn yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, either way he's uh, he's delighted and does not shed a single tear for his uh, for Tony Hayes's family well he, he goes on to describe it as a good thing to happen doesn't <laughs> <Yeah>. he? <laughs> he, says, he says the world the medium of tv and more specifically my mental well-being were all improved by the death of tony hayes 41 yep and then we get a little bit more context about how alan knows chris feather uh, he describes how their paths crossed in local radio where uh, chris had been a producer um, alan was impressed with his way with people and his knowledge of elo <laughs> <laughs> there's also a section that's in the book i'm not sure if it's in the audiobook as well that basically takes up two-thirds of a page uh, as a footnote just about the time <laughs> that uh, Alan went to meet a fortune teller and uh, he basically runs through the claims that she uh, made and how correct they were. Interestingly, I only listened to the audiobook when making my notes but read the other chapters um, to do my notes for other people's sections. So I can tell you that is not in the audio book. Okay, so just to give an example, he, uh, one of the things uh, the uh, gypsy claimed was that he was concerned about travel. Correct. He just put in an <laughs> expenses claim for a non-work-related train journey back to my car after an over-ambitious ramble and was panicking that he'd be exposed. Um, one more, he said, so she says, someone close to me with the letter E in their name had had health concerns. Correct. My daughter, Denise, he's capitalised both the E's, had been <laughs> suffering from migraines and was sent to see a specialist although it just turned out to be a stress-related illness from overwork. Yeah, so I think a lot of the stuff they've taken out is to put notes, because mm. I guess they probably disrupt the flow. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, when you're reading the book, it's it's a nice kind of almost extra visual gag when you see how massive mm. some of the footnotes mm. are because they're nearly a page. Uh, and then Alan uh, heads to the funeral um, again. Another thing that we know what happens in I'm Alan Partridge, which differs in the book. Um, Alan says that he cries with Jane Hayes, um, who he says is happy with the travel clock, but still unhappy at being widowed. The only uh, tears he shed is his frustration trying to find a battery for an Ericsson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we know that this is all nonsense and not actually true. Um, he also feels the need to clarify that there was um, no kind of affection or that the hug that he uh, has with Jane wasn't in any way sensual, which <laughs> is kind of a given, but no, no, he feels the need to clarify Absolutely, that. of course. And then also qualify it by saying that he can't speak on her behalf because potentially there might have been some sensuality <laughs> on her side. He also says, uh, for the, uh, vis-a-vis his gift, she was happy with the travel clock, but she was still upset at being widowed, as if the fact that his yeah. uh, Littlewoods catalogue travel clock might have uh, eclipse the Greek <laughs> everything's death. okay now Alan yeah. Woods are good now can I have a sensual hug it's time to move on yes it is um, so Alan then describes the signing of the £200,000 a year contract this with is Chris. great this is very very good yeah I, I love the uh, the description with the meeting with Chris Feather and it's in a way it's kind of the opposite to Mm. Uh, the death of Forbes McAllister. So Alan is at pains to describe how well Chris is. So Chris was in good spirits, alert and of sound mind and just kind of putting these excuses in like, I trapped my hand in a door earlier so my hand hurts and my signature <laughs> might end up looking a bit weird but I should still be able to sign this. Well, that's yeah. just an out and out lie. I mean, that's not happened. He didn't say that. Alan's just lying. Yeah, but then yeah, we saw that, the whole encounter. That's the joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Alan has officially signed his contract with the BBC, or so he thinks. That's the end of that chapter. I haven't got any more notes. Has anyone got anything else to add on well, Hayes Dead? Alan says that the contract would time to BBC TV on a £200,000 a year deal. Do we think that is good value for money, particularly based on the recent <laughs> BBC charter that revealed income? I guess oh, it was the 90s. Yeah. I mean... Is it five years at two hundred thousand a year? Do you said five? It's two hundred thousand pounds a year for five years. Yeah, yeah so that's a million pounds. Yes. So that would put him. That would put him slightly below Gary Lineker in terms of the. Uh, <laughs> that's recent. annual though for Lineker. Yeah, that's annual. He's basically oh, yeah. a female newsreader. So he's <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. well, well then what the BBC published is... recently was anything above one hundred fifty thousand. Mm-hmm. So he would be in the top earnings bracket. He's not as much as Chris Evans, for example. Yeah, um, but he's Who probably is? on par with. Whoever that guy that pretends the one show is. I'll tell yep. you what, we'll have a look down the BBC playlist and we'll try and find Alan's pay equivalent and uh, come back to you next nice. week with yep. this. Uh, one last thing I would like to add that I've just noticed in the book. Um, obviously, Alan signs the, the oh, is told how much the contract it is in the show and he's, he's kind of like, it's a million pounds. Like he's genuinely blown yeah, away yeah, surprised. Yeah. But in here, he says, I wouldn't say I was particularly ecstatic. It was no less than I deserved. Yeah. <laughs> They also quite nicely uh, repeat the negative and I need two positives point here. Um, It was no less than I deserve, which meant it was one positive that cancelled out the negative of of Hare's snubbing me, but not a second positive that would push my (laughs) happiness level higher than average. His uh, happiness system remains strong and consistent. Very consistent, indeed. Um, So that takes us to the end of this uh, section of the book um, and the end of this episode. Join us next week when we're going to be cracking on with chapter 22, uh, which is supposedly called Homelessnessness, but I've just noticed in the book it's Homelessnessness. Possibly a typo there. Um, We'll investigate and get back. We'll investigate and get back to you next week uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us in the meantime it's the partridge pod at gmail.com it's at the partridge pod on twitter it's facebook.com slash the partridge pod it's instagram at monkey tennis pod uh, don't forget to grab tickets for the live show postpoppodcast.com slash monkey tennis thank you so much for listening and we'll join you next week for some more i partridge from everybody at monkey tennis goodbye Bye. monkey tennis
Smully Allen Partridge. Linton Travel Tavern seemed an obvious choice. Monkey Tennis? At the BBC, of all places. Be real. Monkey Tennis? Where's my assistant? I do not know. Monkey Tennis? I wish things had turned out differently, but I'm glad they didn't. Monkey Tennis? It will be called Alan's Show. I decided and would be absolutely ace. Monkey Tennis? But needless to say, I had the last laugh. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.